Praise be to God. So we are going to go into what the Lord has for us today. So we just pray this prayer after me one more time. I'm going to pray. You just pray after me this time. Lord, open my eyes to see your truth. Lord, open my ears to hear your truth. Lord, open my mind to receive your truth. Lord, open my heart to keep your truth. Let me be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. Let me bring forth much fruit to the praise and glory of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak, Lord. I will listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. So we're going to go back to First Samuel. And we're going to read verse 20 onwards again. First Samuel chapter 17 and from verse 20 onwards. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. A young boy who knew what it meant to obey the blessing of obedience. He did what his father wanted him to do right away. And he was not irresponsible with the flock that God had given him. He immediately said, I have to give it to someone who will really take care of my sheep, my father's sheep. And then he went just like how his father commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the, to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Again, you see, he didn't throw his supplies somewhere else. He gave it to someone who is responsible. David was a man who was very responsible. David was a man who got his job done properly. Whatever was given into his hands, he said, I'm going to be responsible and I'm going to do it to my best. You know, I'm going to do it with all my heart. I'm not going to be reluctant. I'm going to say, okay, you know, Who's going to say it? My dad is not there and I'm just going to leave it here. And I, oh, I'm just not going to do it. And how does he know if I fully gave it? He was not like that. He was never trying to cut corners. He said, I'm going to do whatever I'm told to do exactly the way I was told to do. And then verse 23, then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And this is what God was speaking to us from yesterday, how Goliath spoke and David heard. Whatever Goliath spoke, though David heard, his ears were kept only to hear the voice of God. Like Jesus says 
in the Bible, he who has ears, let him hear. David's ears were only in tune with the voice of God and not to the enemy. Whatever the enemy said, it didn't really go into him because his ears were kept for the living God. Whatever the enemy over there spoke, it didn't really affect him mentally. It didn't affect him emotionally. When the rest of the country, the entire nation was in turmoil and they were all stressed out. They had no way out, supposedly. David was not affected by any of these things. And we saw this yesterday, just like how Jesus was sleeping peacefully in the boat when the storm came. David was at peace. David heard this. He heard the words. He was not disturbed by what he heard. The only thing that disturbed him, you know what? What was it? The only thing that disturbed David was these people. No one did anything about this. And his heart was, I got to do something about this. The first step towards miracle, recovery, restoration is we have to take responsibility before God to be the person to bring about that change, bring about that restoration, bring about that word that God said that he was going to fulfill. That means I have to say, Lord, I'm going to be this person. I'm going to be this person to bring down this giant. I'm going to be this person to bring down this wall of Jericho. Lord, I'm going to, through my obedience, I'm going to take vengeance over every spirit of disobedience. Lord, by me doing what I should do, I'm going to see my family prosper. I'm going to see my family be restored. I'm going to see our health restored. And whatever Satan has robbed from you, whether it's health or finances or peace or whatever it is, you have to come to a place where you say that, okay, everybody is scared because they're all scared and they're not doing anything about it. Am I going to say it's not my problem? I'm not going to do anything about it. No. We need to become the person who would say that I'm going to become the solution. If they're all scared about the problem, I'm going to become that solution by letting God work through me. So you look at David, David heard all of that and David just didn't hear it. Well, this is not bothering me and I'm not moved by this. And then he just didn't go home and say, let me go and sleep in peace. No, David was a man, young man of action. If you look at David's life, when David became the king, he was 30 years old. And David was wandering in the wilderness for many years, maybe 12 years, maybe uh, 14 years. We don't know. So think about it, how young David would have been here. His heart was tender towards God. And though he was young, though people older than him didn't have faith and all of them were wrong, David didn't say, well, if they're all like this, I don't want to go and do anything. What will they think about me? What will the king think about me or what my dad think about me, what my brothers think about me. We're going to see that in a few minutes. 
David was a man who was resolved, a young boy. He had this in his heart that this is doable. That's what we left off yesterday as the Spirit of God spoke to us. In his mind, this was, this is doable. What are these people doing? Nobody's doing anything about it. This is doable. You need to come to terms with that. No matter what your problem is, no matter how difficult your situation is, you need to come to terms with that, that this is doable and God can do this in my life. God can do this in my family and God can do this through me. You need to have that faith. If you have that faith, that'll be the first step to victory. Having obtained the promises of God, what are you going to do about it? Having obtained the victory from God, what are you going to do about it? If you are in a place of victory and you don't fight, what is going to happen? You can have everything. Like we saw yesterday, you can have everything. But if you don't use that victor sword, what are you going to do when the enemy comes with this defeated sword of lies? What will happen? Even though you have the victor sword and you are not using it, he wins. He is defeated. He has a defeated sword, but he wins because you did not lift your sword and you did not resist the enemy. You did not fight like you should have. He just comes and says something and then you get scared and then you get killed or slaughtered in that area. God is calling you for victory. God says it's time to restore. God says it's time for me to do something in your life. What are you going to do? What is your participation in your restoration or the restoration of your family or the restoration of your loved ones or the restoration of whatever it is that you're looking for from the hand of the Almighty God? And you know, God can do this. Are you fighting from a place of victory or are you in a place of victory to begin with? If you're in a place of victory, are you fighting? Do you have the mind that is placed on Christ knowing that It is done already. God has said that it is done already, that victory has been given already, that you are going to win. Do you have that mindset that God spoke about yesterday? If you have that mindset, secondly, if it is doable, what are you doing about it? Are you doing something about that which is doable? If this battle is so easy and it can be won, And you know in your head that it can be won. What are you doing about it? Are you doing something about it? Or are you saying that, well, I know if this can be done. The king is not doing his job. The commander is not doing his job. The soldiers are knowing, doing their job. And what a pathetic army and what a pathetic captain. And what are you know, there are a lot of people like that. Big talk. We've seen lots and lots of people who blame a lot of people. My mom is not good. My dad is not good. My pastor is not good. You know, my uh, president is not good. Everybody is not good. You know what spirit that is? You call that accusatory spirit. Be very careful if you have it. Don't partner with it. Get it out because it will kill you. Fault finding spirit is not from God. It's not a good thing. Anything that happens, he is wrong, she is wrong, she is wrong, he is wrong, he is wrong, she is wrong, he is wrong, she is wrong, she is wrong, he is wrong. They're all wrong. What are you doing, Mr. Right? 
or Miss Wright, Mrs. Wright, what are you doing? If they're all wrong, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's what God is asking you today. David was not like that. David didn't say, well, the king didn't do his job. Well, the captain didn't do his job. And why is he the king? And why is he the captain? You know, a lot of talk. A lot of people have a lot of talk. Let me tell you, such people will never prosper in their lives. That's the truth. They're never going to move forward. You know why? Their eyes are always on others. Jesus said this, oh, hypocrite, remove the plank from your eye. Then you'll be able to clearly see the speck in your brother's eye. That's when you'll be able to see, first of all, if you have sin in your life, if you have a problem, you have no right to point fingers at anyone. Understand? Unless you know that God has said, oh, you are perfect like Job. You have no right to point at anyone. If you go and tell someone, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. God will say, how dare you point fingers when you have a problem? Because it's a spirit of Satan. Accusatory spirit is a spirit of Satan. God's word says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. What does he do? Night and day, he'll find fault with his, his, his enemies, which are God's people. Night and day, Satan will stand there and say, you're wrong, 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 you're wrong. God is not like that. Satan always says, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. If you look at David, David didn't do that. David is not a priest there. If anyone has the right to say that someone is wrong, it was prophet Samuel, who was called of God, anointed by God, to be in that place, who lived an upright life before God and man. And he had the right to judge Israel. No one else. So David didn't assume that place. David knew his boundaries. There are a lot of people who try to play the Holy Spirit, try to play prophet, try to play pastor, and do what they're not called to do. Thereby, they open the door to more demons to come and harass them. Will they have victory in their lives? No, they will not. As long as they partner with these accusatory spirit, which partners with self-righteous spirit, always makes them... And one look like really holy and everybody is unholy. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm a little wrong, but I'm not like you. You're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. I'm not a hypocrite, I'm not like you. That's a self-righteous, accusatory, deadly spirit, deadly combination. Self-righteousness will always have the accusatory spirit. They partner together. God is speaking to our hearts at this time. Unless you know that you're called of God and you have God's anointing on you to go and correct the next person. To really go and tell the person that you're really walking right with God, that you are in a place where you can go and fix somebody. Don't you try to do that because that's not your place. And if you feel that, well, God is leading me to do that. I'll ask you, which God is it? Which God is it? That's not my God. My God said in his Bible, take the plank out of your eye. Take time to take the plank out of your eye. Fix yourself first. Fix yourself first. If you don't do it and you go around telling other people, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're all wrong. 
Jesus will look at you and he'll say, you hypocrite, close your mouth. How dare you accuse my people? Who made you a judge over my people? God will ask you. Because Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. Be very careful before you say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. The reason why the Spirit of the Lord is having me say this so many times is because next time when you open your mouth to point finger at someone, you need to hear this. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Don't dare do that. It's not your place. It's not your place. It's not your place. It's not your place. It's God's place. It's God's servant's place. And those are walking upright before God. God has anointed them. It's their place to gently tell people when they're wrong. To firmly tell people when they're wrong. To correct them in a way that God wants them to correct them in order to bring them back to God. It's not your place to go and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're all wrong. God is speaking to our hearts at this hour. Never assume the role of the Holy Spirit. Never assume the role of a prophet. Never assume the role of a shepherd. Don't do that because it's not your place. It's like a two-year-old coming, trying to wear a doctor's coat and a stethoscope and come and say, well, let me come and let me check you and let me perform a surgery on you. How foolish will that be? If a two-year-old comes with a knife, scissors, and some thread and some needle that you use to sew clothing, what'll happen? What'll happen? A disaster will happen. God is speaking to our hearts today. This is what many believers try to do. Many two-year-olds trying to play doctor, put the stethoscope around their neck and take what? Inappropriate tools. And then go there and say, well, I'm going to perform surgery on you because you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. All of you, all of you are wrong. I know that you're wrong because I know you see. What is that? Self-righteous spirit. What is that? Hypocritical spirit. Well, if you really look at such people, you'll see a whole bunch of dead men's bones on the inside. They'll go around saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. God is speaking to our hearts at this hour. Don't you point finger at another believer ever again. Until you come to a place that God wants you to be, in a place where God can say that you are upright before me and I anoint you to go and fix someone. That I give you the tools to fix someone. Don't you point fingers at anyone else. Instead of building, you'll be someone taking a hammer and breaking down the work of God. Guess what God will do? He'll grab your hand and he'll stop you right there. Never again will you be able to use that hand. There's a warning from the Spirit of God at this hour. Stay within your boundary. Stay within your role. So David heard what Goliath said. And he also saw the people fleeing. David didn't do this. David didn't go and say, Well, you men of Israel. Well, you people of God. How can we have forgotten the wonders that God did amongst you before? Don't you remember God part of the Red Sea? Don't you remember God did this? Don't you remember you people? You have no faith? Now let's all go. David didn't do that. You know why? 
because he was someone who was led by God. Can you partner with unbelief? No. There are some people who try to do that. Things that God call you to do, because other people, if they come in, it'll become a disaster. You know what they do? They say, we will all do it together. Come on, let's all go. Disaster. Jesus didn't do that. When Jesus went to Jairus' house, he left majority of his disciples home. He said, you guys, stay home. You know, these days it's the opposite. Well, I want to take all of you so I show myself as big, powerful Jesus. And I go there and I have 12 disciples, you see. And when I enter in, everybody will respect me. Oh, oh. Death will not flee. When pride is at the door, God will leave. Jesus never did that. Jesus said, well, majority of you stay because you are disqualified to come there. What disqualified them? Unbelief. So Jesus didn't partner with them. He brought three guys who had faith. And when he came there, he saw a whole bunch of people who all said, well, this is not going to happen. What is he talking about? He's saying that she is sleeping when she's dead. And all those who questioned the word of God, he said, away with all of you, send them all out. If God has to do a work in your life, that which needs to be pushed out needs to be pushed out. If God wants to do a work in your life, that which needs to be removed from your life needs to be removed from your life. What is that? Unbelief. Unbelief is a big mountain. It'll hinder you from receiving what God has for you. So Jesus removed the disciples who contributed to unbelief. He removed the people who contributed to unbelief. And he only had people who had faith. And when you look at those numbers, minority. All the majority were outside. Minority people were inside. Few people with faith is enough for God to do a miracle. Understand this. Don't think, oh, I have chain prayer and, you know, chain prayer and whatever prayer it is. I will tell everyone, all of you join with me, you have like 90% of people who are in sin. 90% of people who are in unbelief. Let me put it on Facebook. Let me put it here. Let me put it there. Let me send the whole world. It's not about how many people are going to pray for you. It's about how many people have faith. That's what matters. That's what matters. Not just faith. Real faith will not be there if unholy things are there. Somebody can say, oh, I believe God can do anything. He made the heavens and the earth. And I know he did this. He multiplied five loaves and two fish. And oh, yes, I know he did this. And oh, yes, I know he did. Oh, he did this in my life too. And he did this for me yesterday. And they're living with someone. Oh, they're not married to. Oh, well, I know all of these things that God is the creator and he is everything. He is almighty. Click amen if you say this and post this. And, you know, there are people who say all these things. Guess what? Next word is a curse word. Oh, you think they have faith? Do you? Do you really think they have faith, they have faith because they're saying these things? They're lying because faith comes from God. And we've seen that. Faith will not be there if pride is there. Pride will repel faith. Faith will not be there if humility is not present. Because faith comes from God. God resists the proud. So if you are proud, the faith to believe in order to receive will be taken away from you, will not be given to you. So those who say that, well, it's not a big thing. God can do it. 
God can do it through me. You see, God won't do anything at that point. Whatever grace was there, that grace even will be removed. So if pride is there, miracles will not be there. If God has to do a miracle, humility must be there. And humility is there. God will give the faith in order to receive that miracle. So humility and faith. David didn't go and partner with all those people and say, let's fight. Come, all of you. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Alone as a young boy in his teens, teenage years. We don't know exactly how how old he was, but he's very young. Think about it. He wandered for many years, over 10 years in the wilderness, hunted by Saul. 30 years, very young when he became the king over Judah. Think about it. Majority of his uh, 20s, or all of his 20s, was in wondering what was happening to him at that time. His faith was put to test. The word of the Lord tried him. When was he anointed by God? Way before. He went and stood before Goliath. Way before he was called to play his instrument for Saul. It was the anointing of God that he was anointed with by prophet Samuel. It's after that. The spirit of God came upon him. And every time he played the instrument, what happened? Demons fled. And people there knew that if this boy plays the instrument, evil spirits leave. He was known for that. Now, there were other people, for sure, in that town, in that province, who were skillful in playing the harp. David David was not the only one. Obviously, somebody taught him. So there were other people who played. And if you look at Psalms, you'll see there were singers and there were people who played instruments. And there were a lot of people who played instruments. But David was the only one who was called. When Saul was tormented by evil spirits, David was the only one who was called. Because the instrument or the playing is not what drives out the evil spirit, but it's the anointing of God that rests upon the person who is anointed by God, drives out the evil spirits when they play the instrument. That means the anointing that is on them transfers through their instrument to whoever it is who has demons. So there's a transfer that takes place. When did David become like that? Once Samuel anointed him. Again, anointing is authority given by God. Anointing is not separating and kept keeping someone separated. Anointing is authority given by God. Separation comes before that. You separate someone You consecrate someone, then you anoint them. You separate, then you anoint. You're called. Samuel looked for the right person that God had. And when the chosen person was found by God, that person now is taken from the rest of the family. That's separation. And then when the oil is poured, that's anointing. What is happening? Anointing is giving the power when the oil is poured. It's not just in the oil, it's in the hands of Prophet Samuel. While the oil is poured, 
Something is happening now. There's a transfer that is taking place through Prophet Samuel. The Spirit of God comes to who? David. From that moment onwards, there's an empowerment that comes from God in order for this boy, David, to do the work of God that God had called him to do. There's a power that came upon David to function the way God wanted him to as a king. Now, he didn't become the king the next day. It took a long time. Why? The word of the Lord tested him. So now because Samuel came and anointed him and anointed him to become the king and it didn't happen. Now Saul is actually trying to kill him. Somebody can say, well, his prophecy went wrong and look what everything happened opposite after that. They don't know how this works. If you think that God's servant prayed over you and the prophecy was given that God is going to do this and this and this and this, and you think that it's going to happen next day, it won't happen because you know what? You have not been put to test. Any prophecy that comes, once that prophecy comes and there's a period of testing, that's what happened to Joseph too. Once God gave that vision, once God gave him those dreams, once God said, this is what's going to happen, get what happened. All his brothers turned against him. The trial began. The word of the Lord was put to test in Joseph's life. What does it mean? Whatever God gave to you, are you believing? Are you going to hold on to it? In the midst of all the opposition, are you still going to hold on to it? That's what the test is. Satan will do everything he can to make you doubt. And if you doubt, you'll fall away from that promise. But if you persevere, if you hold on to it, no matter what it is, yes, like Joseph said, God gave me this vision and God will bring me out. So he was looking for a way out and he told the cupbearer, remember me when you go to the palace. Because the spirit of God was in Joseph telling him to put those words in him because he was expecting to come out to fulfill what God had shown him. So anytime prophecy comes, don't think it's going to happen the next day. It won't. A lot of time it'll take many years. And that years will be years of testing your integrity and your faith before God. There are seasonal prophecies. There are prophecies that God will say will happen like this. But when it comes to the call of God, the word of God will try you. When it comes to certain things in your life, it'll take a long span many times. Because the weight with which God is going to give you the responsibility and the exaltation that will come with it demands that kind of a testing to be proven before God can give something heavenly and solid. Have this in mind. This is very important so you understand the truth behind the test that we will have to go through if we need that honorable place that God has for us. And now David here, he was anointed by God. And if you look at Samuel, Samuel was a prophet of God. God told him, go to Jesse's house and anoint the person that I'm going to show you. And Samuel went there. You know how Samuel went? Samuel was a prophet. Prophets of God know a lot, a lot of things, but they don't know everything. Because they're human beings operating under the supernatural power of God. They have the anointing of God. So to whatever extent God shows, to that extent they know. Other things, they don't know. What they should know at a given time, when God reveals, they know. So that's a lot. Normal people won't know that those things. They can actually see into people's lives, 
to whatever extent God wants them to. So Samuel in this place was told by God to go and anoint David. Now Samuel goes there and Samuel sees the first one and he thinks, surely, because that man looked like a king. You know why? What was Samuel going by? The previous way which God led him to anoint Saul. God picked Saul before Saul was someone who was fit for the job. And also he was someone who was very tall and, you know, handsome looking. And he was about the people of his nation. The Bible says the people in Israel were underneath his shoulders. He was very tall. So God picked the person with that kind of an appearance when he first picked the first king of Israel. But the second time, God's ways are different. Each time he leads differently. So prophet Samuel goes there and he thinks, okay, this is the firstborn. And he, yeah, he looks like the king. And he says, surely this should be, this is probably, this must be. And God says, no. So we see very clearly, prophet Samuel, led by God up to the point, going there to do the will of God, was not given the name of the person that he was going to anoint. That detail was not given. Certain times, God will give clear direction as to who the person is, where they are, and all those things. A lot of times, he does not. A lot of times, he'll say, just do this. And then next step, I will show you. And so when Samuel went there, he thought that surely this should be the one. God says, no, it's not. And Samuel went with the flow of the Spirit of God. He went the next person. God then said, well, the last one, the youngest one, have Jesse call him. God didn't say that either. So there's a reason why this whole process had to take place. You know why? Not because for everybody to think that Prophet Samuel doesn't know what he's doing. No. This is for the people in David's family to know that God did not choose all of them. God did not choose any of them, I should say, except the little one was going to come. It is for them to know that their brother whom they have despised is God's choice. That that little boy is the one who is after God all the time. He is a youth after God's heart. That's why it happened. Not because Samuel didn't know and God hid something from Samuel. No. Every time God does something, he is very intentional. And every time God's prophets operate, it's very intentional through the Spirit of God. And God many times shows things to the detail. But many times God will lead step by step because it's for the people over there. God is doing something. There's some display that's going on there. And what did God do? God honored David. And not because, not because Samuel did something wrong. No. It was because God wanted to show David's family that God honored David. You know, a lot of times people may think, oh, this is just a little one and, you know, uh, he can't do much. He was young. David was very young. When Samuel came, David was very young. He was a teen, so we don't know exactly. He was teens. He was not in the upper teens, definitely. He was somewhere, like, we don't know whether he was 15, 16, 14. We don't know. Or 13, we don't know. He was pretty young when Samuel came and anointed him. So when you look at David's life, when Samuel came, 
to anoint the king of Israel. It's not that David's father neglected David. You know, a lot of times people give a long message based on this. David was despised and rejected in his family and, uh, and uh, nobody cared about him. And when Samuel came and asked, you know, for uh, his sons, his father didn't even remember David. He'd neglected him. No, that's wrong. We have to be very careful anytime we bring any Bible character and try to pass a judgment on them or accuse them. We have to be very careful. That was not the reason. This boy was young. The father wouldn't have even thought that this boy can ever be the king because if Samuel is going to anoint him as a king, if he's so small, if he's so young, he can't be the king of Israel. So in age, his brothers were older. They were in the army. This little shepherd boy, a teenage boy, he's not fit to run the country. He's very young. So it's not that his father despised him. It's because chronologically, in the eyes of men, he was not fit to be the king. God's plan was not to make him the king the next day. That they didn't know. So he thought the boys were here, the men who are older than David, much older. They are ready. They are in the army, so they're probably in their 20s or whatever. So the thought, okay, these are like, this guy's 25, this guy's 27, and these are like older, and and he can be the next king probably. And it would have been a shock for David's dad. First of all, for Samuel to come there, this great prophet of God. And while Saul is alive, he's coming to choose the next king because God rejected Saul. But even though God rejected Saul, God didn't pull him out of his kingdom right away. God let him rule. But in the eyes of God, Saul was no more the king. Guess who was the king in the eyes of God? David. Not Saul. The spirit of God departed from Saul. The spirit of God came to David. So David, even though he was young, he has a spirit of God, the spirit of king, the anointing of God to be the king. That leadership quality, the leadership anointing just came upon him. It left Saul. Now Saul doesn't have the leadership qualities, the anointing, the spirit of God. God gave him to lead Israel. That's why he's hiding. When Goliath came, Saul is hiding. And if a leader is like that, guess how the country is going to be? They all go into hiding. But now the guy who has the real anointing of God, he's young. But he has the spirit of God. The spirit that leads people. The spirit of king. The anointing of God to be the king for this nation is there. But did God see them there? No. Because David is going to be tried. And David was going to grow more in faith. God was going to do great things. Steadily, God was going to give him victory in different places. Steadily, God was going to teach him how to fight more and more and more. God was going to develop him more from the time he was anointed to the time David became the king. God was growing David all the more substantially in the eyes of the people there, even without him being the king. The anointing of God was so clear upon his life. But nobody there dared to come and say, well, we see you, you know, doing all these things. Let's bring down Saul. He's not fit to be the king. Let's place him there. Nobody did that. 
because Saul was placed by God over there until God moved him. His time was still there sitting without the spirit of God trying to lead the nation of God. David here with the spirit of God, who he was led by God. Where? In the wilderness. The spirit of God who anointed him to be the king is upon him, leading David from one cave to the other, from one place to the other. His life was so miserable. He even went to the Philistine nation because his own people threw him out. Now think about that. Think about all the things that David had to go through. The suffering that he had to go through. Somebody can say that Samuel made a huge mistake. Samuel didn't, uh, you know, he anointed the wrong person and David is not fit to be the king. Why will all these things happen? Everything is going wrong in David's life. People can say all kinds of things. But David knew who he was. It's a prophecy God is speaking to you this hour. God would have said something for you. God would have spoken a lot of things for you. And everything opposite may happen in your life. Know that whatever God spoke is true. It will happen provided you pass the test. The word of the Lord will try you. It didn't try David for one month, two months, 15 months. It's a long time. Over 10 years. The word of the Lord tried him. But God established him everywhere. Every place. Every place he went. He won and he won and he won and he won and he won. Yes, he was running. Yes, Saul was chasing. The same time David was winning. Because he had the victor's sword. Doesn't matter who's with you or not. Is God with you? If God is with you. If he allows the enemy to chase you. And if he allows the enemy to run after you. Remember this. God will give you victory everywhere you go. If you have to move from one place to another. Wherever you go you will succeed. But you still have this enemy running after me Lord. I still have this enemy running after me Lord. Don't look at the enemy. Look to God and keep running forward. You will win many more areas. It's a prophecy God is speaking. Don't look at who is coming behind you because he's already defeated. The spirit of God left Saul already. He has the defeated sword. David had the victor's sword. You know what matters? The anointing of God matters. You know what matters? God being with the person matters. You know what matters? Faith in God matters. You know what matters? Calling of God matters. You know what matters? When the word of God tries you, your integrity in staying with the plan of God matters. At that time you say, Lord, it's too much for me. I don't want anything. I don't. And you lose. You lose the battle to that defeated sword. You lose the battle to that defeated foe. It's important for you to hold on to what God has given. David held on to the anointing of God. He said, even if I have to live in a cave, even if I have to move from place to place, Lord, I need this and I want this. I will not trade this for anything. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. God is speaking to a heart's desire. Whatever God has spoken to you, 
shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. Whatever God shows, it will happen. It can take time. Many times, if it's a big thing, just like I've said before, if you're making a big dinner, a very tasty one, you have to be patient because it'll cook longer. If you want to go for a dollar menu, you can just drive through and get a dollar sandwich and go. But if you want to really have a good meal, like you have for Thanksgiving or Christmas or for Easter or for your birthday celebration, whatever it is, and you're making it, it's going to take time. But when you eat it, it's going to be really good. And all those who are going to feast with you, they're going to be really happy. It's going to be really grand as opposed to giving a dollar sandwich here, 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 or any kind of sandwich. God is speaking to our hearts today. You want to have a good meal? It takes preparation. You want to be someone used by God? You'll be thoroughly cooked. Yes. Yes. In God's oven, you'll be baked till you become crisp and tasty. Not like a half-baked cake. It'll take time. God's word will test you. In every situation, God's word will test you. Because the call of God is big, then the testing will be big also. And the enemy will be allowed to run loose for some time. In the midst of all of that, are you still going to be a fighter? You're going to be a king, right? Are you going to fight according to God's principles? And David won. David had the victor's sword which was the word of God, which was full of humility and full of love. That's why even when he saw Saul, David was not a self-righteous person. David didn't say, well, God has given Saul into my hands and I'm going to kill him. No. He said, God anointed Saul as the king over Israel. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Who taught him that? Who taught him that? He walked with God. Whatever word went into him, I'm sure he had the word go into him. His brothers would have also, but David chose to stick with God. Just like Joseph out of all the people in the family who got the word. Joseph took the word to heart. Very different from his brothers. David was very different from his brothers too. One out of them all. So it just shows that how you can be different from your family members. You can shine in the midst of darkness. That the word of God that tried David will also try us. But with the victor's sword, every time when Saul came, David escaped. Because God will just show him and move him just in time. And David also showed love. David was not a man of hate. David was a man of love. A young teenager who had this love for God. Very different from the rest of the people. Went all over. He had victory. The victor's sword that he had, he put it to use everywhere he went. It's 
So the enemy was allowed to chase after him. In every instance, he used the victor's sword, and he won. Saul was alive still, but David was still winning. Satan was not able to stop the work of God that God had for David. Yeah, he was allowed to run after him. So if you look at it, the problem was not removed. The problem, which was King Saul, was not removed from David's life. But that problem was kept in order for David to overcome so that he can be rewarded. Our confinement becomes a platform for elevation if we wage our warfare using the victor's sword and using God's principles. You can have the victor's sword, but if you don't use God's principles, then you'll be defeated. Because the battle that we engage is not with flesh and blood, and it has to follow the guidelines of heaven's warfare. So if we don't abide by heaven's rules, when we play a game, when we fight the battle, then the Bible says we won't be crowned. If you don't play the game by the rules, then you won't be crowned. You'll be disqualified. So you using the victor's sword, you need to follow the rules. And the biggest rule is love. Biggest rule God has is love. And understand this, love is sandwiched between truth and humility. Truth, humility, and love. There's no love without truth and there's no love without humility. That's the the law that guides our battles. Victor's sword will always overcome the enemy if we follow the rules, which is love, truth, and humility. Understand this. I'm going to finish it in a couple of minutes. I'm going to just briefly go over this. God has spoken a lot already. But I know the Spirit of the Lord wants me to go a little more. So we're just going to go a little more before we conclude for tonight. So all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. I'm reading verse 25 now. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Now, these people are saying all these things. They're saying that this man is defying Israel, but they're not doing anything about it. People full of unbelief, no faith. Even though the reward is there, they didn't go for the reward because they had no faith. Think about this. God has this great reward for us, but we can just give up everything if we don't have faith. If we don't go and get what belongs to us. If you don't go and get the blessings that God has for you. If you don't go and get that which God has in store for you. You won't get it. You won't get it. You need to go after what God has for you. If you need to be restored. If you need to enter into the restoration that God has. You need to go and get it. You need to fight for it. You need to fight for it. If you don't fight for it. It won't become yours. 
So this, this part that God had, in addition to overcoming Goliath, was a blessing that God had for David. And David is asking, what shall be done to this person? David has this anointing of God and the spirit of God is leading him to ask exactly certain questions. And now the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him? So they are telling him, this is what is going to happen. The reward. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's and, and, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride in the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Think about all the words that just came out of Eliab's mouth. Who was speaking through Eliab at that time? Satan. Satan knows, oh, this guy is going to go and bring down that Goliath. We can't let this happen. So he's moving David's own brother to speak against David. Now, David carries the anointing of God. David has more than what David's father has. David has more than what his brothers have. Now, Samuel didn't come and anoint David's dad. Samuel didn't come and anoint David's brothers. In front of all of them, Samuel said, none of you are sitting down. Nobody's sitting until this boy comes. And you know what this guy is saying here? David, you are having few sheep. You, you're not fit for anything here. You're just a shepherd. You don't even have a whole bunch of sheep. You have few sheep. Look at the insulting words he's saying. Who told you to come here? And besides, are you being irresponsible? Who have you left those few sheep? I know your pride. Look at the words. How is Satan attacking him? To really wound his soul. To say things that can cut him down to the core. In front of all these people he's saying. In the insolence of your heart, your pride and the insolence of your heart, you're speaking these things, David, for you have come down to see the battle here. How does he know? He doesn't know. But all these words are coming out saying that I know, I know who you are, David. And I know what you have. I know your capacity, David. You're too proud. You can't do anything. And how dare you speak over here? And David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? David didn't say anything else after that. I didn't do anything wrong. And David didn't continue talking with Eliab, his brother. That's why you have to understand. Don't fight the battles that are not important. Because when you have to go for something big, Satan will send these worthless people here and there to try to cause emotional damage and affect people who are, who are self-centered and self-conscious and affect the people who are not dead to self. Think about this. 
if you are thinking about your stuff, you know what would happen. My brother offended me. He said that I'm proud. He said that I'm irresponsible. And you know what would have happened? There would have been a whole battle over here. Battle with who? Eliab. How can you say this to me? And a whole explanation of who is having the sheep and, and a whole explanation of who he is. And by the way, I don't have few sheep. I have more sheep. And you do know how many sheep I have. And, and how can you say these things? And, and by the way, do you know that God didn't choose you as a king? Do you know that God anointed me? Do you know that I have the anointing of God? And well, do you know you guys have to stand until I had to come? And no, you don't see any of those things in David. Very humble. This is why God chose him. He didn't talk anything about who he was. And he didn't let any of his words alter who he was. I want to repeat that. True faith and true walk with God will not be affected by human beings' words, whether positive or negative. It's not going to shake you. It's not going to move you an inch because it's God was the one who moves you forward. You will not be moved behind. You will not be moved forward by anyone who says anything that is not of God. So David was not moved by God, by the words of his brother. It would have been a waste of time. Satan's goal was just, let me waste him. Let me just drain his emotional energy. Let me get him into this fight. And Satan was just waiting. Let me just say nice sharp words to really poke his heart. And after that, let me watch a fight. Let David say something. Then I'm going to use Eliab to just burn him down so that he gets so emotionally drained that he goes back home. That was Satan's plan. But you know what? David didn't give room to that. Don't engage yourself in worthless fight. Don't give in to the enemy. Don't give in to the enemy's attack. When this guy said, I know who you are. I know you didn't do your job properly. And who are you, by the way? And why are you here? And you proud and insolent, useless fellow, good for nothing. And that's what his brother is saying. And David didn't say, I'm crushed. My heart is crushed. Let me call Samuel the prophet and tell him how my brother mistreated me. By the way, where he is, he is far away. I don't even know where Samuel is right now. Why was I anointed to be king over Israel? I thought I can win this and nobody is supporting me. I feel all alone, dejected and rejected and rejected by my own people. And how are these people going to even anoint me as a king? And woe is me. David was not like that. Many Christians are like this today. This is why they live a defeated life. This is why many times their family members are not saved. This is why, because you know what? They'll be fighting over here, side battle, and Satan say, keep going, keep going, keep going, good job. And what he will do, he'll keep pouring fire into that oil. You fight, they fight. They fight, you fight, you fight. And you get drained. You know why? It's a demon that's fighting through the person with you. Then after that, you feel like, I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like praying. And you go cry and cry and cry. Nobody sees my crying. Then you know what? Go, go to God and even cry. Lord, I know what's happening with me. I don't know why I'm like this. You should know why you are like this. Is it a new thing? You know yourself. Why are you like this? Stop doing what you're doing. Don't say, I don't know why I'm like this. You do. 
don't engage in worthless battles. When God has a plan for you, Satan will provoke people and he'll stand. Go, 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 go fight. Go fight. And do something that will really prick them really good. And Satan sends people to pull you down. It's never going to be a light battle. It's going to be something that will really poke you hard. It'll be something that will hurt you. Don't get involved in those things. David just said, what have I done? And that's it. He went to the next one. He didn't stand there and he wasn't fighting. Because he knew that he was there to fight with the giant. God had called him. His purpose is to overcome that giant and to do what God wanted him to do. God is not going to be staying there while you're fighting unnecessary battles. That's not why God has anointed you. God has not called you to be fighting side battles over here. God has called you to fight his battles, not the battles that Satan is bringing. May God speak to your heart at this hour. If you are dead to yourself, you can accomplish a lot of things. It's not going to bother you at all. You are not going to be standing there defending yourself. Oh, you know who I am and you know my prayer life and you know my sheep and you know, you know, you know, they know me and you know what happened in the wilderness. And you, he didn't go and tell all these stories, you know, where he went and told only where he should, only to King Saul. He wasn't going there and telling his whole victory history and trying to defend himself. No, don't waste your time defending yourself before people who are inspired by the devil try to defend yourself and prove your point and waste your time. You'll be spiritually drained completely and become unfit for the battle that God has called you to fight. God is speaking to our hearts at this hour. The Spirit of the Lord wants me to wrap up right now, so we're going to. God has spoken very, very important things here. Know who you are in Christ. Don't let Satan's words affect you at all. If the whole thing is about you, then you'll be affected. But if your life is about Jesus and about what he has called you to do, then you'll accomplish great things for God. You won't get involved in petty fights. You won't get involved in anything that has to do with you. You'll get involved in fights that'll do with the king, with his kingdom. I'm going to repeat this. If you are dead to self, that means it's not about me, it's about God. No matter who says what. It's not going to affect me. I'm not going to let that get to me. Because my focus is what God wants me to do. At that point, you'll be winning the battle that God has called you to. You're on your way, on your way, on your way to the victory. Fighting with the victor's sword. Fighting from the victor's platform. Having the victor by your side. Disengaging in all the petty demonic fights, side fights that Satan wants you to fight. But only engaging yourself with the war. That God wants you to overcome that Goliath in your life so that you can recover your people. David went and fought, and as a result of that, his nation was saved from the hands of Goliath. The same spirit that came through Goliath came through Eliab, an Israelite. The same spirit that worked through a Philistine worked also through an Israelite. 
So you have to be alert to all the cunning ways of the enemy. Satan can work through an unbeliever. He can work through someone who claims to be a believer. But your eyes should be on God. Your eyes should be on what God has called you to do. If you're called by God, you shouldn't sit still and watch the enemy blaspheme the living God and blaspheme God's people and let Satan take your people away. Be a fighter. Be someone who'll pray. Learn to fight the battle God's way using the victor's sword, the word of God. Using the victor's sword, the word of God. Having the word of God, fighting from a place of victory. Abiding by the rules of the war. Disengaging from all the fights that are unprofitable and that will weaken you from winning your main battle. Having Christ by your side, you shall recover everything that the enemy has taken or is threatening to take. Shall we close our eyes and look to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. I highly encourage you to read this chapter. Read the previous chapter. Read the following chapter. If you even have to read the next several chapters you did, read the life of David. As long as he walked with God and walked in holiness, God did tremendous things in his life. Be like him. Don't give excuses because excuses will make you empty and useless. Be someone when you see a problem to become the solution for the problem because you have Jesus. Be someone who spend time with God and not boast about it when someone tries to tear you down. Be someone who will keep their eyes on God Almighty and do what he has called you to do and not engage in the battles that the enemy wants you to, to sidetrack you from the main war. Because Satan is very clever. He knows the potential. He knows what God can do. And so he will He'll raise up people to drain you. Don't give in to that. As you pursue God, be resolved in your heart to do everything God's way. If you do everything God's way, you will, for sure, win every single battle using the victor's sword. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for what you have spoken. Thank you, Father, for your spirit who is moving in the midst of this hour. Thank you, Lord, for this period of blessing that you have brought us into. Whatever problems we may have, no matter how difficult it may be, whatever sickness Whatever ailment, whatever opposition we may face. We have been given the victory through Jesus Christ. 
And we thank you, Father. Lord, you have positioned us for victory. I pray may your people understand this deep truth that you have given to them, Lord. Help them not to engage in anything that is inspired by the devil. Help you people to keep their eyes on you. To follow you. To follow your plan. Prepare themselves. Mentally. Prepare themselves. Spiritually. Prepare themselves. Emotionally. And physically. By filling themselves with the word of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, you are so, so, so very faithful. Thank you, Jesus. And help you people to abide by heaven's rules. Humility, love, and faith. Thank you, Jesus. Have faith in your word and faith in you. Thank you, Jesus. Be faithful to you and faithful to your word. Lord, I pray this blessing upon your people in this month of June and beyond. May they be true warriors. Fight every battle through the Spirit of God, empowering them. May the people who see the need and do something about it. May they be people who will not be sidetracked by the enemy. But to be keen on doing the will of God. Oh Lord. May they be keen on putting to death the works of the flesh. Anything that will weaken the spiritual immune system. Anything that will weaken them emotionally. Anything, any word, any thought, any action that would sidetrack your people, that will weaken them would weaken them, oh Lord. May they be able to identify that and disengage in those battles in Jesus' name. That they may overcome the enemy where they should and receive the victory that has been already given by you from the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Word, thank you for speaking to us, Lord, so clearly, so beautifully, so gloriously. Let no one forget what you have spoken, Father. For you are about to give us something big. You are moving us from where we are to where you want us to be. Lord, I pray. That may your people be prepared 
to do what you've called them to do. To bring glory and honor to your great name. Bless your people, Lord. In this month of June, may they inherit every blessing that you have for them by being with you, by becoming what you've called them to be, by inheriting your promises, and by passing every test. There comes the way. When the word of the Lord is put to test in their lives, and they pass every single test and inherit, Lord, the big plan that you have for them, O oh God. With this blessing, I bless your people with this night. As a servant standing in the presence of God, before the throne of God, and according to the power and authority given to me by the Almighty God, and bless your people, it is our, with the blessing that you alone can bless them with, that they may be people of purpose, that they may be people of promise, that they may be people who hold on to that victor's sword, that they may be people who put to use that victor's sword, that they may be people who will not be sidetracked by the side battles that Satan will bring to distract them and keep them from winning. That they may be people of faith, humility, and love. That they may accomplish great mighty things that you have for them, Father. That through them, through them, whatever needs to be recovered and restored, may happen. What you want to do in their lives and in their families through them, may that be accomplished. As you use David in his nation to bring down the giant, to rescue all his people, including his king, I pray. May these people, Lord, be so given over to Jesus. May they be so full of Jesus that they may be used by you, Father, to restore everything that the enemy has stolen in their lives and in the lives of their loved ones. With this blessing, I bless them with. And I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.